You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning. We're uh, continuing with our uh, series here this morning. Uh, the title of it is Simple Joy. But before we, wanna, we get started, I do want to uh, take the opportunity. Our teens do a great job decorating a stage this morning. <laughs> and as you can imagine, for those of you with teenagers, knowing that they were here somewhere around 8.15, 8.30 this morning, setting it up even more so, right? But uh, grateful for them, our worship team, everything that goes into making our Sunday services happen. Uh, with that, I love kids. Yeah, we, we got our little kids choir thing going on this morning. And with that, knowing, uh, again, the title, I've got it kind of broken down here. We're going to get to the kid component in a moment. But uh, I don't usually do acronyms, but this one I thought worked out pretty well. Simple joy, J for jo- uh, Jesus, O for others, the Y for yourself. Well, we'll break that down here this morning in, in the message. But with that, kids at Christmas time, isn't it pretty cool? Some of the things they do, some of the things that they say. Uh, I've got a few of those this morning that uh, I I found uh, over the last few days that were kind of amusing. I love watching kids. You know, Santa Claus, as they go to visit, it's amazing the wide array of responses. You get those that just love the idea of Santa and they run in and give them a big hug. And then you've got the other ones that look like they're absolutely terrorized of any degree of interaction with that guy with the gray beard. But the first one this morning is uh, kind of interesting in that uh, it's a young man that uh, wasn't super fired up about how things had worked come Christmas morning. So he lets Santa know in this letter, Santa, last year you didn't take care of me. You didn't bring me anything good last year. Taking that step even about a step further back, you didn't bring anything good the year before, Santa. This is your last chance, signed Alfred. (laughs) The next one's from a uh, seven-year-old who's got a couple of brothers. Uh, You'll be able to figure out where this one's going in a minute, but it says, Dear Santa, there are three boys that live at our house. There's Jeffrey, he is two, and he's good some of the time. There's David, who is four, and he's good some of the time. And then there's Norman, who's seven, And Santa, he's good all the time. I'm Norman. (laughs) And then we have a a five-year-old, a little bit more of a spiritual perspective on things. She she had an observation on the nativity. And as you know, we had our own little rendition of that here recently. Again, I wanted to thank Gina and our cast of characters, everybody that was involved in our uh, production of Night of the Nativity. But we have this little five-year-old Susie who had an observation on the nativity. She says the three wise men brought Jesus gold, scent, and silver. No real presents. I feel sorry for him. (laughs) I like the the spiritual component. At least she was more concerned about Jesus than she was herself. Amen? But, you know, how about adults when it comes to this time of year? You know, the video kind of gave us a little bit of an insight as to what takes place. You know, and sometimes it's kind of hard finding joy in this, which in a lot of ways is one of the busiest seasons of the year. It's stressful. It can be complex. Um, You know, for those of you that uh, have very extended families, 
uh, in-laws, outlaws, whatever the case may be. Uh, there can be travel involved. There, that, there's that juggling of who are we going to see this year or making sure that we hit everybody, you know, Christmas Day and just the, the freeways and everything else that can be associated with that. And I don't know about you, um, the Christmas holidays for me weren't always the greatest. Uh, seemed like that was when there was the greatest amount of stress and grief in our household. Uh, relatively poor growing up, so you can imagine the pressure that put on my parents trying to come through with something. And ultimately, the day was full of a lot of fighting, just a lot of, a lot of issues. So I think we can all kind of relate to that a little bit. You know, some of the words that are used to describe the season are headache, busyness, expensive, uh, crazy, wide array of things. And then to a lot of other people on the face of this planet, Christmas is just another day. Uh, only a little bit maybe more expensive uh, or a little bit more trouble than other days of the year. The thing that amazes me is that how sad that an event that brought so much joy in heaven should bring so little joy here on earth. And I appreciate the last song that we just did, Joy to the World. There are some components of that that are going to be integrated in the message this morning. But I think so much of when it comes to joy is about our focus. Part of the challenge we have with joy in America today is this is something that was ingrained in our society more than a few hundred years ago. And that what does the Declaration of Independence say when it comes to joy? It actually doesn't. <laughs> but it does talk about the pursuit of happiness. And it's really interesting, when that was written in, just even the demeanor of paintings that were painted, of portraits of people, photography, pictures of people. There was this shift from, you know, the, which I kind of appreciate. I'm, I'm not big on having my photo taken, but, you know, just kind of the look <laughs> versus, you know, the big grins and the rest of it goes with it. But there was an actual shift in photography, portraits, Partially due to the Declaration of Independence and this whole thing about being happy, finding happiness, doing whatever it takes to be happy. And it's kind of interesting, the Russians had a perspective on this. A modern Russian adage holds that a person who smiles is either a fool or an American. (laughs) And you know, you see that in a lot of their photographs today. I mean, there's definitely a little bit of that, you know, carryover, that, that stern, stoic, kind of expression. It was interesting, when McDonald's arrived in uh, Russia in 1990, one of its biggest tasks was training clerks to seem like they were cheerful. And I would imagine most of you would agree with me on this. When it comes to happiness, doesn't everybody want to be happy? I want to be happy. I would venture to guess everybody here wants to be happy. In fact, people do what they do for the purpose of finding happiness. People work hard to buy possessions, thinking that that's going to make them happy. We look for happiness in entertainment, hobbies, sports, passions, various forms of addiction. You know, and you got to even ask yourself today, why is divorce such a major deal? Why is divorce such a major deal? Does it matter being happy? My spouse doesn't make me happy. Time for another spouse. And then what usually happens is, you know, it's kind of that euphemism, the grass isn't always greener. You know, you get the next one and you find a lot of, this, a lot of those similarities. And at some point in time, one of two things happen. Either you keep marrying until you die. And we know people that have chalked up six, seven, eight marriages. You kind of, I scratch my head wondering why. I mean, 
You know, but again, I guess it's that pursuit of happiness. Or the other thing is you find yourself just kind of settling. It's like, okay, I guess this is as good as it gets. When you consider happiness, in a lot of ways, especially within America, it seems to be a major driver in life, the main goal in life. But it's really surprising that the Bible, American Standard Version, doesn't even have the word happy in it. Now, the word joy is in there around 500 times. The uh, Holman's Bible, it appears once in the book of Acts. Happy. Happiness, actually. And it's interesting. The Bible says a lot about joy, which I think has us. We, we've got to kind of reassess here. What, what's the confusion? What is it about happiness? The Bible says a lot about joy, but really nothing about happiness. And I think the Bible, the, the, the joy, the kind of joy that the Bible talks about is something that goes way more deeper, way deeper than mere happiness. See, happiness deals with what is happening. Happiness depends on circumstances. In fact, for most people, happiness is nothing more than a temporary interruption to boredom. You know, we've all heard kids complain from time to time, I'm bored, right? Any parents relate to that? You ever hear that from your kids, I'm bored? (laughs) And ultimately what it means is what I'm looking for here is some happiness, and I'm not finding it. Our modern idea of happiness is a diluted version of the term joy. See, God brings happiness. Right here, we've, kind of a quote that I think is a good thing for us to be thinking through at this time of year. God's happiness or joy is dependent on the assurance of God's blessing, not in current circumstances. And you know, if you're not joyful this morning, this is a question you need to be, you'd be asking yourself as we progress through the morning. And then when you leave here. Why am I not happy? If I'm not happy, why am I not happy? And then ultimately transitioning to really understanding what joy is. Simple Christmas, simple joy, not dependent upon our circumstances. You know, the, the Beatitudes, they use a terminology that draws from the Old Testament. Jesus and Paul identified disciples as those who, by outward perspective, looking at them, that they were just the most pitied of all people because of their circumstances. But according to them, and what we see with our first century brothers and sisters, those that had a relationship with Jesus really were to be the most envied of all people. With that, I've got a a video this morning that I want to show. It's about a a gentleman who's a surf photographer. And you know, you think about this guy. I've only got a clip of the video, but it was interesting. It was a TED Talk on joy. And he was expressing how early on in his career, he loved what he did. I mean, you think about it. I mean, you're being paid to go to all these exotic locations, to sit in the water, surf sometimes yourself, and take pictures of other people surfing. I mean, I think some of the tropical destinations are involved. I mean, when I vacation, I love, I don't care where it is, give me a beach, I'm good to go. But this guy was burnt out. He felt that all, this, all his job did was it was a matter of him filling magazine pages with photographs. But he comes upon a point in time when there's a very interesting quote that you'll see in the video where he realizes there's a means of attaining joy. And it's not the way that we would normally think. Go ahead and watch the video here. This is the place where some of the largest, most violent storms in the world send huge waves smashing into the coastline. We were in this tiny remote fjord, 
just inside the Arctic Circle. It had a greater population of sheep than people, so help, if we needed it, was nowhere to be found. I was in the water taking pictures of surfers, and it started to snow. And then the temperature began to drop. And I told myself, there's not a chance you're getting out of the water. You've traveled all this way. This is exactly what you've been waiting for, freezing cold conditions with perfect waves. And although I couldn't even feel my finger to push the trigger, I knew I wasn't getting out. And so I just did whatever I could. I shook it off, whatever. But that was the point that I felt this wind gush through the valley and hit me. And what started as this light snowfall quickly became a full-on blizzard. And I started to lose perception of where I was. I didn't know if I was drifting out to sea or toward shore. And all I could really make out was the faint sound of seagulls and crashing waves. Now, I knew this place had a reputation for sinking ships and grounding planes. And while I was out there floating, I started to get a little bit nervous. <laughs> Actually, I was totally freaking out. And I, and I was borderline hypothermic when my friends eventually had to help me out of the water. And I don't know if it was delirium setting in or what, but they told me later I had a smile on my face the entire time. Now, it was this trip and probably that exact experience where I really began to feel like every photograph was precious. Because all of a sudden, in that moment, it was something I was forced to earn. And I realized <laughs> all this shivering had actually taught me something. In life, there are no shortcuts to joy. Anything that is worth pursuing is going to require us to suffer just a little bit. And that tiny bit of suffering that I did for my photography, it added a value to my work that was so much more meaningful to me than just trying to fill the pages of magazines. See, I gave a piece of myself in these places. And what I walked away with was a sense of fulfillment I had always been searching for. <laughs> so when I look back at this photograph, it's easy to see frozen fingers and cold wetsuits, and even the struggle that it took just to get there. But most of all, what I see is just joy. Thank you so much. It's kind of interesting, the, the extent. I think as humans, it's obvious that there's a need there. And you look at the extent that this guy was willing to go to for joy. And I love this quote. In life, there are no shortcuts to joy. Anything that is worth pursuing is going to require us to suffer just a little bit. I gave a piece of myself in these places, and what I walked away with was a sense of fulfillment I'd always been searching for. So I look back at this photograph. It's easy to see frozen fingers and cold wetsuits and even the struggle that it took just to get there. But most of all, what I see is just joy. We're going to come back and uh, talk about Chris here in a moment. But thinking through this, again, joy doesn't depend on what's happening. Joy is an inner sense of well-being that has absolutely nothing to do with circumstances. And I think, that, again, the, the kind of joy the Bible describes can't be found in possessions or entertainment or even looking deeply into your inner self. The fine line of joy to the world, that first line that we sang here today, 
sums it up. There's one reason and only one that we can find joy in this world. And as the song says, we can have joy because the Lord has come. See, if Jesus Christ is truly Lord of your life, he provides us with joy. In the same way that your body craves food or exercise and rest. So that that relationship with God, the spirit, our spirit craves this incredible relationship that God promises. And without that relationship, your soul becomes famished. It becomes restless. And I believe that there is indeed in every single human being that walks on the face of this planet a God-shaped hole in every life. If we look deeply within ourselves, we'll find that happiness isn't something that is going to fill that space. Only God can fill it. And if we try to fill it with anything else, anything besides God, bottom line is you're forever going to be chasing things, stuff, people, whatever it may be, but you will never, ever fill that void. You will remain forever unsatisfied. And you've got to ask yourself today, are you satisfied today? It has far less to do with your life, your marital status, possessions, your spouse. But what it really has a lot more to do with is whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, the Lordship of Jesus, your heart, your mind, your soul. Really thinking that through. Are you satisfied today? You know, I, I look back at a uh, job experience I had years ago, and it was interesting. One of the things that brought me into the kingdom was realizing as I was making my way through corporate America, climbing that ladder, it wasn't fulfilling. Because eventually you get to what you think is the top of that ladder to find out that there's only another set of extensions that you've got to push up for the next level. And it didn't matter how much money I was making. It was never enough because there was always more. There was always a newer car. There was a bigger house. There was a, the, the latest and greatest toys for my kid. But whenever those things, whenever the purchases took place, there was that hole again. And I, I remember as a Christian... When I transitioned from the ministry position to a secular job, it was the worst job I've ever had in my entire life. I was working for a company by the name of Yellow Book, who was competing with Verizon, uh, GTE, the other phone books that were out there at the time. And what I, it was business to business. They gave me a Chicago book, of all things, in Los Angeles, with a mock-up of the L.A. cover. And I had to go door-to-door with this book, and, you know, if you're a business owner, what's the first thing you're going to do? You open it to your category, right? If you're a plumber, what are you going to do? You're going to open it up to plumbers, and that's exactly what would take place. And they look at it and it's like, I don't recognize any of these names. So, you know, obviously they're wanting to see whether or not they need to go in the book because of whoever else they're competing with. It's like, oh, well, this is a Chicago book. Oh, you guys, you're not even here? I hated the job. But I couldn't derive my joy from the job. I drive my joy from the relationship with God. And ultimately, that got me grateful, the fact that I had a job. And it was interesting. You know, the, uh, one week I'm cranking, and Steve, we need you to do the sales meetings next week, man. You're doing such a blowaway job. We, we need you to inspire and motivate the rest of the guys. And then the next week, nothing in the pipeline. I got the manager coming to me. You know, I'm not going to be able to go to bat for you with the GM anymore, dude. You don't turn this around, you're out. And I mean, literally, every other week, this is what, you know, was going on. But the thing that was awesome is it was a guy who wanted to know why I was able to conduct myself the way that I did. And we went out to lunch. One thing led to another. He comes out and starts studying the Bible. He became a Christian. His wife became a Christian. His kids became Christians. So 
That's what God talks about. This is the kind of impact that we can have. This is the kind of joy that's out there. Seeing a couple that was on the verge of divorce, realizing that their issues shouldn't have been the focus. If God had been the focus, it never would have been a matter of, okay, well, gee, you know what? You don't make me happy. Well, you don't make me happy either. Well, you know what? You do, I said it first. Well, I'm out of here. I mean, this is where we can go when we have the wrong kind of focus and really understanding that there's a difference between, again, joy and happiness. What are you filling your life with? What are you filling your mind with? Are you satisfied? Are you joyful as you sit here today? You need to check the lordship of Christ in your life. You know, back to our photographer. It's inspiring to see that Chris was able to find joy in his profession. But my question to him, if I had the opportunity to talk to him, my question, the question I put before you this morning is, what happens when he gets to a point in time in his life where he can't endure the rigors of what we saw in that place that he was at? Does he go back to where he was before? A joyless job, a joyless life? And, you know, it's awesome that he was able to find something that gave him that motivation, that passion. I put before you what he experienced was God. I mean, you look at the the place that he was at. This is the kind of God we serve. This creator of this amazing planet. But there will be a point in time where that void will open right back up again because it's not filled with the most important thing, which is God in our lives. You know, for us in life, there are no shortcuts to joy. And he really nailed it. Anything that is worth pursuing is going to require us to suffer just a little bit. But as a Christian, what is it we're, what is it we're striving to do? What is it, where is we, why are we trying to get to? Guys, we don't know. <laughs> heaven? We obviously need to talk about heaven a lot more. I mean, I always get a lot of little kid looks out there, man. (laughs) Well, what is it we're striving to, where is it we're striving to get to? Heaven. Isn't that worth a little bit of effort? Isn't that worth a little bit of suffering, knowing what what God has laid out for us for eternity? You know, there's a a woman by the name of Sonia Lumbermirsky. I'm not going to say it again because I know I won't say it the same way. But she's a psychologist, and she's done this... uh, this, the How of Happiness is a book that she wrote. And with that, it's called, her thing, her specialty is positive psychology. So one of the things that she's determined through her, uh, she kind of goes after elaborating on what it takes to be happy. Describing happiness as the experience of joy, contentment, or positive well-being, combined with the sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. And then she's got a test that she gives people to kind of determine where they're at. And then there's this wonderful chart of hers, which uh, you may be able to uh, read. But she's got six habits of happiness worth cultivating. And in going through these, for, for those of us that have spent any time in the Bible, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Giving thanks. You want to be happy? You need to be grateful. You need to be thankful. She talks about writing out lists of all the blessings that you have, all the things that are good in your life. Uh, dropping grudges. Is that kind of a biblical concept? You know, when we forgive those who have wronged us, we feel better about ourselves. Whoa! Breakthrough! Practice kindness. Being kind to others makes us feel good. Get moving. Regular exercise increases self-esteem. Keep friends close. Social connections. Isn't that church? It's what church should be. 
That's what God's designed. I mean, isn't this all God? And this is what I love about our scientific community. This is what I love about psychiatry. This is what I love about marketing firms. They all try to find ways to fill the happiness void. But God's already done it. It's just a matter of what we're filling our minds with. If we look deeply within ourselves, we will not find happiness, but we will find that space that only God can fill. See, if we try to fill it with anything besides God, we will be forever dissatisfied, discontent. Being satisfied or content isn't just settling either. Chris could have settled for contentment. He could have settled for his job. He was getting a paycheck. He felt this need for something more. It's something that we all feel. Contentment is joy satisfied, which takes effort. See, joy is the outcome of the Christian life. We don't generate it. God does. None of us have joy within ourselves. And again, people seek to attain joy through entertainment, which, you know, offers temporary artificial joy. I mean, the vast entertainment industry in our world today, in our nation today, is a sign of depletion of joy in our culture. I mean, look at the billions of dollars that are spent on films and video games Every year, billions of dollars. Look at the billions of dollars that are spent going to those movies, purchasing those DVDs, buying those game, game units and the games that go along with them. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment. <laughs> Who said that? There's nothing wrong with entertainment. I love the new Star Wars movie, even though they killed off Luke. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding! (laughs) Boy, now I got your attention. Jiminy Christmas. (laughs) Uh, Do you actually think I'd be that stupid to put something like that? Don't answer that question. (laughs) And, you know, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being entertained, but it's foolish to think that we'll find lasting joy from anything this world has to offer. Joy is not a commodity. It cannot be purchased. And I think really understanding, we don't need a distraction from our stressful lives. What we need is a cure. We don't need a distraction from our stressful lives. We need a cure. And the only cure that you're going to find comes from a living relationship with Christ. Our need for joy is legitimate. But how we get that need met often isn't. You know, I'd like to suggest today, as we close out the season of the year, that This Christmas season can be a matter and a time of joy. No matter how tight you are financially or how busy you are, joy is like love. It's not merely an emotion, but a decision. And I believe you can be joyful as you want to be. I know this may come as a shock to some of you. Um, I love my wife, but there are times where, let's just say it's more than others. And what it it gets down to is, and she'll admit this, I'm not a peach to live with all the time. (laughs) it takes a little bit of work but if you really love someone isn't it worth the effort and I think just really getting back to some basic things here it's the same thing with joy if you want to be joyful isn't it worth a little bit of work I believe you can be as joyful as you want to be it's all where you choose to put your focus 
If you really want to have joy this Christmas season, let me suggest three places to focus your heart and mind. The three areas we're going to focus on this morning come from Matthew 27, or 22, 37 through 40. We all know it. You don't need to turn there. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest, most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. You know, I've preached on this many times this past year, and I love the fact that I don't need to worry about 674 laws that were established by God and then embellished on by the Jews. I can focus on these three items that are in here very easily. God, myself, and others. You guys with me on that? A little bit easier to keep track of. So this is what we're looking at this morning. Number one, you need to focus on Jesus. It's simple. You know, there's a, getting back to the kid thing, uh, a, 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 I love kids, again, when it comes to their perspective on things. There's this five-year-old, Ruth, who was asked if she got what she wanted, if she got everything that she wanted for Christmas. And her response was, after a moment's hesitation, she answered, no, but you know what? It's not my birthday. Five-year-old. That's pretty awesome. And see, isn't it easy to get so wrapped up in the celebration that we forget what we're supposed to be celebrating? You know, the world, do, the world does that to us. We see it all the time. It has become politically incorrect to say Merry Christmas. Store greetings have changed to Happy Holidays, even if you get, and that's, you may not even get that today. You know, we have the Jewish Day of Hanukkah, or the African celebration of Kwanzaa to compete for the place that belongs to one person and one person only. That's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But even without buying into the world's ways, we can forget what Christmas is all about by forgetting Jesus. You know, this next video, I know you've seen it many times, but I think it really gets the point across when it comes to the season we're dealing with right now, and that it's real easy to love that cute little baby in a manger. Well, we'll talk about it here in a little bit after the uh, video. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I... <laughs> Why do we like the baby Jesus the best? <clears throat> and this is where we can go. I know this is a little over the top, but... If you're a Christian and you're focusing on Jesus, it means that you not only remember the Savior in the manger, but you remember the Savior of the crucifixion. You're remembering that that baby did grow up and he went on to a cross to pay the price for each of us, our sin, your sins, my sin. And he rose again to give each and every one of us new life. And he lives within us to give us true joy. In Galatians 2... Verse 19, Paul talks about this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And not only was Jesus born in Bethlehem, but by faith and by his spirit, he lives in me. If you've been baptized for the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit resides within you. That is the thing that should fill us with joy. You know that song, Joy to the World, Joy to the World, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Most people acknowledge the arrival. But I think as Christians, remembering that Jesus lives within us is the important first step. But it progresses from there, as we see in the song, well, Jesus came to die for us. There's some other things that need to take place. See, we need to let him reign in our lives. Now, we're living here on earth. Jesus encountered large crowds that followed him around and were ready and willing to receive him. You know, I think sometimes it may have been more about the fish and the loaves or hearing a cool story or whatever it was that was taking place. But it's amazing how when Jesus started talking, we see the transition in Luke 9, 10, 11, and moving on from there. You know, this need to deny self, carry your cross, know God's before you, focusing on God, living like God, imitating Christ. Those crowds thinned out. See, they, a lot of people then, as it is today, weren't willing to allow Jesus to take charge of their lives. They weren't ready to surrender to him. And that's what we've got to ask ourselves this morning when it comes to joy. See, they, those people and us, they wanted to do things their way. Can we slip into that? Wanting to do things our way? And it's not the other way around. Everyone wants a savior, but not everyone wants a lord or master. There are many of us today that are much more willing to receive the good things that Christ wants to offer, but we don't want him to try to take charge of our business ethics, our entertainment, the things that we let in, the things that we watch, the things that we drink, the drugs that we may use to find that so-called happiness that's out there, the language we use when we're under pressure, or our public image. We don't want Jesus to be in charge of where we live or who we date or who we marry, our marriages as disciples, or what kind of career choices we make. It's easy to take the good, but you know what? When it comes to guidance, realizing that Jesus gave it all up, king of kings, to be a slave so that he could usher us into his kingdom, we don't want to imitate that part of Christianity. See, if you try to be a Christian without focusing on Christ, letting Jesus live and reign in your life, you'll miss out on one thing, and it's huge. It's true joy. I think really understanding, too, you know, there's some of you that have been coming around for a while, that you've been studying the Bible, and just really understanding that there is a decision that needs to be made. Indecisiveness and hypocrisy can actually zap the joy right out of your life. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I do know for me, I can do a pretty lousy job of running my life on my own. Uh, it was something that was experienced for the first 32 years before I became a Christian. And even though there's departures as a Christian where I've gotten off track. But because of this, the relationships that we have here, God's word, the example that we have with Christ, it gives me the ability to get back on track, living in accordance with what God has established. See, Jesus knows what will give me and you joy. He knows the person that's going to suit you best in marriage. He knows the kind of work that is made for you that will allow you to use the talents that you've been blessed with best. 
You know, it's been said that joy is a byproduct of obedience to Christ. Joy is a byproduct of walking with God and the Lordship of Jesus reigning in our lives. And I don't know, for me, that sums it up pretty well. Number two, focus on others. Acts 20, verse 35. See, focusing on Jesus should also help us develop the attitude that he told us would bring joy. And we'll find that here in this passage in Acts 20, verse 35. Paul says, In every way, I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. We see Paul quoting Jesus here to point out the joy of generosity. You know, we saw our psychiatrist friend earlier that showed that 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 sense of giving, generosity, gratitude, those things all give us joy. Christmas is the time that we celebrate the most incredible gift that has ever been given to us, which is Jesus. And Jesus focuses on giving. His focus in giving Christ to the world was his love for others, God's love for us. He gave us an example that we too should be willing to follow. Joy does not come from getting all we can get from others, but giving all we can give to others. It's this kind of focus that brings others joy and ultimately will bring us joy. You know, if you want to know joy at Christmas, discover the joy of giving. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done for me, for Jesus. If you want joy this Christmas, find someone in need. and In the name of Christ, give to them of your time and your treasures. You know, there's plenty of lonely, needy people out there in our communities that need help. If you're willing to open your eyes and look for them. You know, and if you'd like to engage on that level, we have an incredible community service program that the the Atkins head up here throughout our region. You know, we've got Martin Luther King Day coming up here soon. There's a number of different projects that we're involved with there. I mean, I love the fact that the Casillas get out once a month and they all get together and make lunches, their entire group, and they head into Santa Monica and they feed the homeless. And there's a reason why they go back every month. There's something fulfilling knowing that you can actually change someone's physical well-being. And that, in a lot of ways, opens the doors for people to really connect on a spiritual level. The Stebergs, the uh, Stickleys, and uh, Amy Schneider have been going out. They they adopted a family here for Christmas. And uh, they went out, and they brought them a bunch of gifts. I know the Stebergs have been doing this for a number of years here. And he was able to sit down and do a devotional for the family, and they were blown away that someone would take an interest in them. This was found through the DFS. You know, there are a lot of people out there that need this kind of help, especially this time of year. And after the devotional, I mean, these, according to Mark, these guys are wide open. They want to know more about the church. They want to know more about God. They want to, and, and, and here's, a, here's a family and all these kids that joy was brought to them. And the thing that's so cool about it is they got a little bit of a, an insight as to why that joy was brought to them. And that is because there was people being like Jesus. The Bible says that you'll find joy by focusing on others instead of yourself. The third one, focus on yourself. And this may, uh, this may be kind of interesting. You know, what, what, I mean, self-focus, isn't that kind of selfish? Well, not really. Because I think we've got to understand there, there are attitudes, our own attitudes determine whether or not we'll experience joy this year. You can let worry, stress, unforgiveness, or discouragement rob you of joy, and the joy that Jesus wants us to have. See, we all struggle sometimes. There's going to be issues sometimes, but understand, attitude is not automatic. 
was the world would be a lot nicer place, right? You choose to allow these attitudes or thoughts to rule you when it comes to stress, unforgiveness, these other things that I just talked about. This is why you're not joyful. How do I know? Because the Bible commands us not to allow these things to rule our lives. And God would not command us to do something that we cannot, with his strength, do. He's not going to put something like that out there for us. So when it comes to worry and stress, let's take a look here at uh, Philippians 4, verse 4. There's a lot of imperatives that are in this passage. Verse 4, it starts out, it says, always be full of joy. Where, though? Where does that joy come from? Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considered in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Another imperative, don't worry about anything. Instead, imperative, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Another imperative. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. You want peace? Do we want peace? Or do you prefer stress and anxiety? Is peace just going to happen? I I mean, I love this. He says, you want peace? Peace will be with you. What do you need to do? Practice all you've learned. And you may be, you you know, if you're visiting with us, you may not, you know, it's like, okay, this kind of insider speak. What have they learned? Well, there's a great means of figuring that out. We've got people that can sit down and open the Bible to you and show you what God has put out there for us so that we can have this peace that seems so evasive in this world today. Unforgiveness is another one. Ephesians 4, verse 30. It's so amazing how things from our past can haunt us. Or maybe things currently that you're going through can haunt us. And how we can be chained to those bad feelings because of an unwillingness to forgive and let it go. So unforgiveness is something that can plague us. How do we deal with it? Ephesians 4, verse 30. says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed for, by him for the day of redemption. We should be excited about that. Again, through the waters of baptism, we've been stamped. We got that UPC seal on us so that when we go through the gates and they hit the scanner button, it's not going to go, eh. You're going to hear, come on in, well done, good, you know, great job, faithful serving. Come on in. That's one of the benefits of being baptized for forgiveness of sin. God knows who we are. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Be fired up about the fact that if you've been baptized, you're sealed. It's good. You're good to go. All bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And being kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. You know, that sounds so crazy. Right? Well, they did da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Or she blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. Well, what should the motivation be behind it? Anybody perfect in this room? In order to have a right relationship with God, sins need to be forgiven. That's the gift that God gave us. 
That's the thing we should be celebrating during the Christmas season, knowing that I don't deserve forgiveness. And as the passage closes out here, forgiving one another, what? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. That should be the motivation for the forgiveness, not looking at the things that have been done to you, because you'll never get beyond it if that's your focus. But again, this is the attitude of the mind. You can change it if you choose to. But if you're not joyful, you've got to ask yourself why. What's going on up here? Discouragement. I can feel discouraged from time to time. How do we deal with that? 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. You know, when uh, my son left the church years ago, that was a huge source of discouragement. And then there were some decisions he made, and there was another church that he'd become a part of, and some closed-in statements he made that really set me off. And that was a source of discouragement. But passages like this were the thing, and other brothers that would recommend me reading certain verses, certain scriptures, Help me to get beyond that discouragement. And it's incredible the way God works. You know, when you're in the midst of things, you don't see them working. But I love the fact that we have this thing called memory where we can look back and it's like, oh my gosh, look at that miracle that took place. Look at what God did here. That's why I was going down this path. That's why there was this direction. Look at this incredible outcome. And to be able to rejoice today knowing that my, my son's not only restored to the fellowship, And especially with all the stuff that he's seen in our household over the 30 years, he'll be 30 here at the end of this month, that he would actually want to go into the ministry? To me, it's absolutely amazing. But that's how incredible our God is. If we remember, and we look to things like salvation, we look to things like Jesus Christ, we look to the things that God has already done for us. The fact that you're sitting here today, even if this is your first time, how God has blessed you, and that there's this this ability to change your mindset. If you came in here without a, with a lacking of joy today, you've got the ability to walk out of here joyful. And that's how awesome God is. See, the fact is you can be full of faith or full of doubt. You can be full of the Spirit's joy or full of the world's challenges. Consider your thoughts. Listen to your words. Listen to what you say to yourself. Watch your actions and ask yourself, do I have the joy of the Lord or am I wallowing in the mud hole of my own fears and challenges? Got a quote from Vance Havner here that really sums up the season. Christmas is based on an exchange of gifts. The gift of God to man, his unspeakable gift of his son, and the gift of man to God when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. See, you're the only person that can decide to be joyful this year. God has a gift for you this Christmas. It's the joy that you unwrap by focusing on Jesus, others, and then yourself. Joy is an action that produces a feeling. The feeling it produces is hope. See, when a person has hope, it is the most incredibly powerful emotion on the face of the planet. Hope allows for anything to be possible. Choose to have joy so you can do all things. We're going to close in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. 
Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that when you so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't wait until December 25th to unwrap that gift. Open it now and enjoy it as you head into 2016. God bless. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.